Hey everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, Goliath Technologies, and Policy Pack Software. If you enjoy the show each week, you've these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. This week, Microsoft held their annual build conference, which is mainly focused towards developers. And as such, on an enterprise IT focused podcast, I probably could have dived into more of the announcements because obviously developers develop applications for the enterprise too, but I didn't want to get into the nitty gritty of uh, development. So I've just picked two particular highlights to share. So CRN.com reported that Microsoft announced new capabilities for Azure Stack HCI, which is hyperconverged infrastructure. And it's essentially a cloud-connected, hyper-converged infrastructure operating system delivered as a service. They include Azure Kubernetes services on Azure Stack HCI, which is now generally available. Developers and admins can use the Kubernetes-based platform to build, deploy, and manage containerized apps in their data centers and edge locations. This Kubernetes service on HCI is designed to make the deployment of Kubernetes clusters on-premises easy through the Windows Admin Center user interface, according to Microsoft. It is Azure Arc-enabled out-of-the-box with a fully consistent Azure experience, has built-in security, and includes familiar tools for native .NET support. Another new feature is the multi-cluster monitoring for Azure Stack HCI in the Azure portal and preview channel, and it enables customers to monitor the health of a cluster even if they are not on the physical site. So I just find any news about Azure Stack pretty interesting because I find that kind of as-a-service offering on-premises really intriguing. Still waiting for more around WVD and multi-session Windows 10 on Azure Stack. That'd be pretty cool to see. But another announcement was there are two new capabilities for Azure Monitor, which helps developers collect, analyze, and act on telemetry data and identify problems in seconds, they say. Easy onboarding of application insights for Java apps and Azure app services is in preview, allowing customers writing Java apps on Linux and Windows app services to automatically onboard to application insights without code changes. There's also a query packs in log analytics feature, which is in preview, which allows customers to create and share query packs of log analytics queries within their organization for easier collaboration between teams. I went looking specifically for more around application packaging and application delivery. And there were some sessions, like a pretty interesting one on project reunion which that'll be cool for developers, but maybe not so much for IT pros. They're also trying to push MSIX, but at the time of writing the script for this episode, at least, I did not see any compelling new features or announcements around MSIX, but maybe that's going to come out still because I scripted this episode on Wednesday evening, Irish time. In some other conference news, ZDNet covered some highlights from Google I.O., as you might expect, most of these have commercial leanings rather than enterprise, so <laughs> starting off the episode this week by covering announcements from two conferences that aren't really enterprise IT related, but you know, 
there is some crossover appeal. First up, Google is working on new tools to improve search results and give users more search options. One example used during the keynote was to take a photo of a pair of boots and ask if they could be used to hike Mount Fuji. So I really like the Google Lens feature. If you've never used Google Photos before, if you have a photo open in the app, you can click this little icon and it does a search, basically like a reverse image search using your image and it will bring up results related to what's in the image. It's usually shopping based. So like if it's a nice hotel or a pub, it will return, you know, what that pub is or hotel if it can find it. Or if it's a person, it might bring back, you know, what the clothing items are that that person is wearing and where you could buy it and that sort of thing. So it seems like they're going to build in even greater functionality and return more nuanced results. Like for example, that, hey, could these boots be used to hike Mount Fuji? <laughs> if you wanted to know that. I'm sure there's gonna be more interesting ways of using that new search features. Also of interest, you can now import passwords from other managers into Google's tool. So personally, I don't really use the built-in Chrome password manager, but if maybe you're using a different password manager tool and you'd like to import your passwords from that tool into Chrome's, then that's now an option. And I know that might be of particular interest for LastPass customers who were happy using the product when it was completely free and they could use it on their mobiles and also on their laptops, but now they have to pick one or the other or else they have to pay. So maybe moving to the Chrome password manager might be appealing to them and they just made it easier to move to it. It does say, however, that it's rolling out in Chrome on Android at first. So maybe give it a little time to make it to the Mac OS and Windows versions of Chrome. This week, CNN covered the ongoing story about the crippling global chip shortage. They report that it has been mostly concentrated on the auto industry, but they also report that the shortage is affecting the smartphones and appliances too. In a call with analysts on Wednesday, Apple's chief financial officer, Luca Mastri, said that the company expects revenue will be $3 billion to $4 billion lower this quarter thanks to supply constraints. And this includes problems procuring chips which are expected to affect the production of iPads and Macs. And I know that there was speculation that the new range of iPhones and MacBooks that are typically coming out around autumn may be affected by this too. Those buying new cars in the US are seeing about a 5% price bump with speculation that a 1% to 3% price bump could be seen in smartphones. Intel have said that they're in talks with companies that design chips for car makers about manufacturing those chips within their own factories. If successful, Intel could be producing chips within six to nine months. Unfortunately, at this moment in time, there's no end in sight for the chip shortage, and it's likely to roll at least through this year. BleepyComputer.com reports that a wormable vulnerability in the HTTP protocol stack of the Windows IIS server can also be used to attack unpatched Windows 10 and server systems, publicly exposing the Windows remote management service. As comedian Bill Burr says, oh geez. Although it's a very serious remote code execution vulnerability, 
The vulnerability only impacts versions 20.04 and 20H2 of Windows 10 and Windows Server. Also, unfortunately, though, in my experience, a lot of companies are on 20.04. So, snakes and ladders, I guess. WinRM is also enabled on most Windows machines. Shodan shows over 2 million machines are currently exposed online with WinRM enabled. It's also used by many popular third-party tools that require remote execution in order to function. The good news is that this has been patched with the main Windows updates. So patch, I think I've said it before on the podcast, but if you're in one of those organizations that waits one month behind for your patching, it's really time to consider changing that and going with a more modern approach to patch management. vCenter Server has another critical severity vulnerability and it's got a rating of 9.8 out of 10. The bug allows for the execution of malicious code when the machines are reachable on a port that is, that is exposed on the internet. The vulnerability is tracked as CVE-2021-21985. And once again, a lot of people are like, well, why would anyone have machines with vCenter exposed on the internet? But as Ars Technica reports, Shodan was showing 5,594 vCenter servers publicly exposed. It's somewhat small, but pretty unbelievable that no one learned from the last vulnerability because this happened just months ago. vCenter versions 6.5, 6.7, and 7. Point zero are all affected. Organizations with vulnerable machines should prioritize this patch. And as a manual workaround, if you can't upgrade right now, you could disable plugins and VMware have a guide for how you can do this. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 178. And you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links. Wired.com had a look back at the infamous RSA hack that took place in 2011. If you worked in IT at the time, you most likely remember it since pretty much every organization of a decent size used RSA at the time, and it sent shockwaves through the industry. Executives at RSA were bound by a 10-year non-disclosure agreement, but now that has expired, so some have spoken. There are several accounts covered in the article, including by Todd Lethem, who described how in the midst of the ongoing attack, he found that the attackers left a document that contained a Rackspace server address that they were using during the attack and a set of credentials. And sure enough, he was able to log into their server and found a .rar file containing the seeds, which is a copy of all of the RSA secure IDs contained in it. Unfortunately, when he hit delete on the file, he got an error that the file was not found. The attackers moved just a step quicker and got the copy out of Dodge. And that is just a teaser. The article is very long, but it's a fascinating read. So too is the opinion of those who worked in the trenches at the time. They gave some really insightful words on general cybersecurity then and today. Bill Duane, for example, summed it up nicely. He said it was a glimpse of just how fragile the world is and it's a house of cards during a tornado warning. I strongly recommend taking the time to read this article for yourself. You won't regret it. And with security in mind, Microsoft has released Simuland, an open source lab environment to help test and improve Microsoft 365 Defender 
Azure Defender, and Azure Sentinel defenses against real attack scenarios. So I talked about how this was on the horizon, it had been previously announced, and now it's here. It's designed to help security teams understand the underlying behavior and functionality of adversary tradecraft, expedite the design and deployment of threat research lab environments, stay up to date with the latest techniques and tools used by real threat actors, and more. And you can share your own end-to-end simulation scenarios as well by opening new issues on the Simuland GitHub repository. So there is room for collaboration. On last week's episode, I mentioned that there were new policies available for Windows Package Manager and that version 1.0 would be generally available soon. Well, it turns out soon was very soon as it is now generally available. This was actually one of the announcements during build, but I felt this deserved to be called out separately because I'd already talked about it last week. And this is awesome. No need to have an insider build anymore. You can just go get it. They also announced that they made a new Windows Package Manager manifest creator available, which is a mouthful. Creating or modifying existing manifests was a manual effort before, but with this tool, you have a framework for creating manifests and better still, it allows you to automatically fork existing package manifests into your GitHub account so you can work on it. FSLogic's version 2105 preview release is now available. It contains various updates made to improve login times, fixed an issue where users could fail to log in if a VHD network location was unavailable, you can now increase the size of an existing VHD by updating the size in MB setting. The refresh user policy setting can now be managed via group policy. In the template, they resolved an issue causing FRX shell to not launch on non-English systems, fixed various issues that could crash the FSLogic service, and more. For a full list of fixes and enhancements with this version, Check out techcommunity.microsoft.com for more. The register reported that Chrome allowed an imposter Microsoft Authenticator extension into the fold. This is not the first time an imposter extension has made its way into the Chrome store. You may remember the imposter version of Postman that was uncovered by ExtraHop a couple of years ago too. In this instance, it appears the extension contains a URL pointing victims to a server based in Poland. Microsoft have stated they have never had a Chrome extension for their Authenticator before, and Google at the time of this recording had declined to comment. In further worrying news, the record media reports that thousands of Chrome extensions that tamper with security headers have been discovered. The most commonly disabled security header was a CSP, a security header that was developed to allow site owners to control what web resources a page is allowed to load inside a browser, and a typical defense that could protect sites and browsers against XSS and data injection attacks. Obviously, potentially opening up security holes and possibly lulling end users into a false sense of security is not a good thing at all. So a pretty bad week for Chrome security. And now just some quick hit stories to wrap it up for this week. Microsoft have published a brand new conceptual reference architecture that demonstrates design areas and best practices. It's a really massive chart, so kudos to those who created this. 
This must have taken a lot of time. The US government has decided that pipeline companies should actually have cybersecurity regulations. This is after the now infamous colonial pipeline ransomware attack. And personally, I think this is smart and hopefully other services and businesses will have this type of regulation in future too. Healthcare, I'm looking at you. Bose, the very popular maker of headphones, have fallen victim to a ransomware attack themselves. Some employee information has potentially been breached. They identified a very small number of individuals whose data was impacted and there has been no significant disruption to their services and their manufacturing, at least according to an article by bleepycomputer.com. They have stated that they will not pay any ransom. So two for two in the last two weeks, the HSC in Ireland said they would not pay a ransom and both this week are saying they will not pay a ransom. So it seems at least companies are learning that much. Microsoft's Sys internal tools has updated Procmon, Process Explorer, PS Exec, and more. So if you're a Sys internals user, check that out for updates. You can now use Group Room as a waiting room for before and after your Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts, or Google Meet, SignalWire, WebEx, Amazon Chime, and GoToMeeting meetings. And it's very simple too. You just add a string onto the end of your meeting URL, and that puts that waiting room or lobby in place. So pretty cool stuff. And finally, a quick update on the soccer club that we sponsored this season. Galway United are currently sitting sixth in the table, just one point outside of the playoff spots, with the season being about a third complete. The player that we sponsor, Morris Nugent, scored a late equalizer in last week's match against Cork City. I won't do updates weekly, but I figured it would be cool to have some updates on the podcast and have it as a retrospective that I can look back at. Also, Morris is a defender, so goals may be few and far between, so there won't be too many to highlight, I expect. Who knows? Maybe after scoring one, they'll move him more into an attacking position. And now, a hot job. Greylog are looking for a cloud engineer based in either the United States or Germany who will be working remotely. The role responsibilities include development, deployment, monitoring, and operation of a scalable managed cloud infrastructure in AWS, debugging of and assistance with infrastructure issues in coordination with their customer support team, collaboration with Greylog engineers and product managers to optimize Greylog for running on cloud infrastructure, and more. If in the U.S., you have the option to work out of a centrally located office in Houston, Texas, or to work remotely, they boast flexible working hours, a management team with programming experience and a sense of reality. This provides an opportunity to be part of a diverse and international team, and the candidate gets choice between workstations using Windows, Mac OS, or Linux. Role requirements include experience with IAC or configuration management tools, experience with development and operation of highly available and scalable cloud infrastructures, experience with the distributed version control system like Git, Mercurial, are comparable. Experience with the Greylog is a big plus. 
participation in the Greylog cloud on-call rotation. I just got away from on-call, so I don't envy the people doing on-call still. You're also required to work with remote teams that requires a prudent approach, active inquiry, and effective communication via chat. And also, you have to have a willingness to regularly travel to their Houston, Texas location and to an annual company-wide off-site. Doesn't travel sound nice. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. I felt like this episode was going to be kind of long this week, so I've limited to just two features this week. So first up, thanks to Thorsten, who shared a PowerShell script to block IP addresses and country network ranges in the Windows firewall. This is on a blog at sans.org, and I'll share a link with this episode, as I do everything I mention on the podcast, over at 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And finally, my buddy Shane O'Neill posted a blog on Citrix service continuity, which I've covered on the podcast a couple of times over the last few months. But if you'd like to learn more about it from someone who's deeply technical like Shane, I recommend you check out his blog post. And that's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening.